and welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast talking your Houston Texans straight from the Great British Isles and it's finally draft month, the time to turn the page from the Watson drama and it looks like it's here, a couple of signings this week, Deshaun Hamilton coming in, nice pedigree Marlon Mack production in the league, things feel a little bit rosier than they did even a couple of weeks ago but we've got to find a way to draft quality talent and quality players. So here is my conversation this week with Mr. Shane P. Hallam from Draft Countdown, and we talk through some of the Texans' possibilities in the draft. And it's draft season is finally here, and I'm delighted to be joined for the third year in a row by Mr. Shane P. Hallam now of DraftCountdown.com. Shane, how you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me back. Uh, it's, uh, it's draft season's April, right? This is what we do every year, and I'm just excited for the draft to get here. Yeah, I know, absolutely. I think, and for a change, um, I was just telling you, I was listening back to our conversation last year. We've actually got some picks at the top of the order for the first time in what feels like an eternity. Um, for all those that have probably forgotten, Shane, um in terms of draft philosophy, what you know, what, what do you see as a as a sensible strategy when you're at the top end um, of the draft? You know, it's a mix between need, best player available, um, and also positional value comes in. How do you view it? I, I, you know, I think it's different for every team, but for me, I like to kind of take a look at the roster. You know, what are holes this year, next year that need to be filled? I think you have to take need into account a little bit. Um, and then ultimately from those positions, I think you can pick the best player available. So I think it's a little combination of both that most teams do. You're not, you know, you're not going to go out and draft a quarterback. If you don't need one, you're not going to go out and draft a running back. If you're three deep, uh, even if that's the best player on the board. So I think that's important. And I think we all also always see, you know, some positions gain a little more prominence, offensive tackle and edge rusher and quarterback, you know, these take a little bit more preference. Maybe you'll, you'll reach down in terms of your grade a little bit for those, if those are also needs. Um, so I, I think that's important too. Like, you know, you don't be taking a running back third overall. Let's, let's not do that. Um, yeah. I think that's important too. So I think it combines all three. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and um when you look at all these teams, right, so if you think there was the Raiders, Miami, Jacksonville, of all in recent years stocked picks, you know, trading off kind of their prize asset on the roster, getting picks back. The Jets are sort of in year two of that right now. And obviously Seattle and now Houston, uh, both trading their quarterbacks this off season. What do you think the lessons can be learned? You know, when you think about the Raiders and all the picks they got in, killing Farrell at the top of the draft and, uh, you know, Miami not necessarily hitting... And Jacksonville, you know, a lot of premier picks consistently and number one overall, but um, not necessarily turned their fortunes around. Do you think there's any lessons that, you know, the Texans particularly can learn from from those teams that have just not necessarily turned the, the draft capital or stock, you know, into quality players? Well, I, I think what you can learn is it doesn't matter necessarily how many picks you have, but you have to have someone in charge that's going to utilize those correctly. Uh, and and you look at those teams in terms of the Raiders and the Dolphins, the Jaguars, three, you know, three teams that had big turnover this year that have a lot of turnover, coaching staff, general manager every couple of years. That, that also makes it problematic because a lot of times you're picking for the system that your coaches are running. Well, if you fire a coach after a year or two, 
Now you might have players that don't fit the new system, that don't, don't fit the offensive philosophy or defensive philosophy, and it might look more like wasted picks. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I, th- I think that's really difficult. I think the teams that have turnover say, well, I'm going to rebuild. That's great. But usually teams that start rebuilding, uh, they get fired, right? <laughs> like the GMs and coaches get fired. So by the, you know, that, that, that's always my issue with it. I think there is a way to add picks and add value while still being competitive. And that's, what's really important. And, and something I'm interested to see if Houston starts kind of on that path pretty soon of you know being more competitive but still having a little bit extra draft capital to try and fill some of those holes and get some players you can develop yeah because i think you've got two ends of the spectrum there right so you've got you know one one set of teams that have tried to build picks and then obviously the rams you know with the t-shirts printed uh fm picks and they've traded them you know for capital you've seen obviously denver do that taking russell wilson over, you know, we'll, in time we'll, time that, that we'll, we'll find out if that'll be successful. The roster would suggest perhaps it would be. But when you when you see a lot of teams with multiple picks in the first round, it's kind of almost like the two opposite ends of the spectrum. There's teams that are ready to win now and are being more aggressive than ever. And there's also teams that are, you know, as you said, taking it right back to the brick. What do you think we can learn from, you know, the teams that do it? Because, you know, if you think of, you know, the two, the second and the third that they paid for, a, you know, a short-term rental on Vaughn Miller, it's a lot to give up. And as the Texans have found, when you hit the wall, at the, you know, at the other end, when you you don't have that pipeline and young, you know, rookie wage scale talent coming onto your roster, you know, the cupboard can look pretty bare very quickly. So, you know, is is that a risk worth taking, do you think, for these teams trading them out for vets? Well, I, I, I think it depends on the team. I mean, if you're the Rams and you said, hey, we'll, we'll give you a, a Lombardi if you give up the second and yeah. third, like, I think they'll take it. I don't <laughs> care. They don't, they don't really care who the players or how long they had them. You know, I mean, that's nice. But you have to be in position to do that. I think we've seen a lot of teams get a new coach, you know, like the Raiders did when they traded for Cleo Mack back, you know, back years ago uh, and then ended up having to trade him away for less. Like, you weren't in position to win. If you're going to trade for a veteran, I think that's something you mentioned Denver. I think they feel like they're a quarterback away. So we might as well do it and, you know, do that. But if you are a team like the Texans with a lot of holes um, or like the Jaguars with a lot of holes, I, I don't think it's a good move. Um, you know, and sometimes you get caught. Like, look at the Titans last year, traded a second for Julio Jones. And, I mean, he was hurt and effective. Now he's cut. Uh, you know, that was not worthwhile, even though they felt like they were competitive. You have to really know the player that you're getting to. Um, I almost feel like hey, it's worth it to spend a little more money and trade for a guy that maybe has a bad track, but is a good player, which the Titans did this year, trading for Robert Woods, trading a sixth. If it doesn't work out, it's not a big deal. But you trade away a yeah. second, third, you know, that, that's when you run into problems. Yeah. And so it, it's draft time. Um, what's your pro- talk us through your process? How do you, uh, you know, you go from seeing a name on a list or what have you, and then dig down the tape? What, talk us through your process and how you sort of evaluate these guys. So I'm I'm someone definitely tries to identify talent pretty early on. Um, you know, I'll kind of start watching high recruits and and big time players all the way back in in senior high school, and just to get a feel for their game and see if they develop, fall off, whatever. So you know, there are a lot of players in this draft that I was familiar with years ago. I mean, I watched Kayvon Thibodeau play in high school, uh, yeah. and you know, studied him from there on. And there's some players say like, you know, Trayvon Walker from Georgia, who I, you know, I watched early on, didn't really play much his first two years and kind of, kind of fell off and got reacquainted with him this year. So I think that's kind of where I start to try to get at least a little bit of feel early in a career. Cause 
I think another piece that often is left out of the puzzle is how do these players develop over time? If they get better consistently for the three, four, five years in college, that, that's a big positive to me. And usually I have those players higher than consensus. Um, so I'll kind of start there. And then, you know, in the summer, uh, this past summer, I went back, watched a lot of the players that are going to be eligible for this draft, definitely going to be in this draft, kind of get a grade, a kind of a base grade on them. And then as I watch every week, try to record a bunch of games and go through as much as I can, um, usually try to watch at least three games per player. So uh, just about everyone that I've ranked in my top, you know, 30, 40 of each position, I've, I've watched three games. There's always a couple small school guys. Maybe you can't find that. Um, and so I just keep evolving over time. I'll go back and watch a player. I incorporate workouts, but if it's not what I think it was going to be, I'll go back and watch again. Um, it can be a tough process because sometimes you watch a guy and you're having a bad day and you rate him really bad and he wasn't that bad. So you got to go back to that. And so I, I think it can get difficult, um, but uh, I really feel good about, you know, watching analyzing and taking in all that information taken in the workouts try to put some of those numbers to what nfl teams do in their tendencies as well yeah yeah okay and uh, in terms of this sort of class how do you uh, how do you well in fact actually no last year's class let's just go back to that so we kind of talked a little last year about some classes do you have any sort of you know you, you self-evaluate every year did you hit were you right you know were you ahead were you behind on certain players what, what was your sort of reflections last year of your you know, your class after seeing a, a rookie year which was a strange year to come out in the draft right enough but yeah. how do you sort of look back on it yeah well it was it was kind of a strange year I think um, as always it was kind of a mixed bag where a lot of players that uh, we kind of knew were, were smashes Michael Parsons Jamar Chase that, that I was very high on both those players came out you know, and did really well. Uh, but uh, at the same time, there were a lot of quarterbacks. I thought we'd see a little more from Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields and guys that I'd rated pretty highly that didn't quite happen. Or even some of the, you know, second, third round receivers that I liked, um, Terrace Marshall in Carolina didn't do much. Um, that's the case. So I, I think it was, it was kind of a mixed bag, but I do think last year, what, uh, what did happen that I talked about a lot was just the depth of that class wasn't great. And there we, you know, we saw fourth round picks get cut before the season and fifth round picks. Uh, you know, so I think that was a little bit rare and something I talked about because it was such a uh, shallow class because so many players could just go back to school because of the COVID year, go back and, and not miss anything. Um, we kind of saw that come out in the wash. Yeah, because I think that the number of declarees for this draft is, you know, exponentially up on last year. Um, has that been a challenge trying to fil filter through them all and kind of like great because it feels like the talent pool this year is much great with those sort of super seniors in inventation um, just with everybody you know being given a year's grace etc how have you found that uh, it's it's been rough it, it's been stressful to <laughs> there's yeah. there's still players coming out of the woodwork I'm like I have not watched that player I, they won't get drafted but like I I'd like to see everybody I'm not going to um, yeah I mean last year 2021 was the the, the least amount of prospects that we've ever had. And this year, 2022 is the most amount of prospects that we've ever had in the draft. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's, it's been, it's been pretty rough. Uh, let me, let me look real quick. Like my receivers, I have 165 players that was just a receiver yeah. that I've watched. Uh, and there's more, there's more that exist out there. It's just crazy. Like I've never gone through that before. So it's been, um, it's been, it's been a challenge. There's definitely going to be some free agents that I've missed and haven't seen that much of that I'll have to catch up on real quick after the draft. Yeah. And a, a guy we never actually talked about last year uh, was the guy the Texans drafted in Davis Mills in the third round coming at Stanford. 
What was your kind of evaluation last year of him and how did you see that um, translate to the pros and what's your kind of take on Mills to this point? I think Mills was an interesting prospect. He was getting a little bit of that late first round buzz as some of these quarterbacks always seem to do, even if they're not um, there. I think he was a kind of a raw prospect with those tools. What was a high recruit coming out? And I really liked what the physical tools brought to the table. He wasn't consistent. But when he was really good, he was really good. So I think to me, I think that getting him where they did at 67th overall was a good choice, right? You could develop him a little bit and we saw him come out and play. I thought, you know, early on, you could see some of that inconsistency. He he lacked putting together the vision on the field. But then late in the season, uh, you really start to see that blossom a little bit from what I saw from him. So I really thought they were developing him well. And now with, you know, a little bit of consistency, even with a new coach on the uh, head coach on staff, I think it's a good situation for him. I know there are some people that say, yeah, I think the Texans could take a quarterback early. I really don't think they will. I think they're going to take another shot with Davis Mills, see what he brings to the table. Maybe they draft someone late, um, you know, fourth, fifth round just to to develop and see. But I, I think Mills, you know, compared to the other day two quarterbacks, I think he's been by far the best one. Yeah. I think he's yeah. I mean, early 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 games, you know, there was screen screen passes hitting the dart. Um, you know, a bit of inconsistency, a bit of kind of you know wide eyed kind of ness from him. Obviously, that's just due to the lack of starts. I think what you saw in the season was you know reasonably comfortable throwing you know throwing passes against zone coverage. It's the man coverage aspect, partly because you know people getting open. Obviously, that's a part of it. Um, but I think, yeah, that when teams sort of switched up their looks to go to man covers, that was where we kind of struggled and you saw them hold on to the ball and, and you know, pump fake and and, and try and kind of <clears throat> perhaps improvise a little bit too much. But, yeah, there, there was some positive signs there towards the end of the year. So, you know, we'll never know. I mean, I suppose from your experience, how many of these third-round developmental guys actually blossom into, you know, beyond sort of Dakota Prescott? There isn't a huge... Um, kind of list of them but you know what do you think his sort of longer term outlook is it's not a huge list uh, you have Dak you have Russell Wilson you have guys who I think fast forward to now would have gone higher and so I, I think it's difficult do I think Davis Mills is going to blossom into a superstar probably not that's probably not in the cards for him but do I think he can blossom into a pretty solid you know starting quarterback uh who works within a system well to get the ball to playmakers. I think he can do that. Like you said, we started to see it once he kind of settled in and uh, zone coverage was able to kind of use his eyes and read and know where his receivers were going to be. So I think like, uh, you know, a Kirk Cousins, someone like that who Hmm. is efficient, effective, not, you know, this high end ceiling prospect, but you could do a lot worse as a quarterback. Like I think Davis Mills has a little more arm talent even, but I think that's the type of player you could develop into where you don't feel perfect. He's going to lead you to a Super Bowl immediately, but you feel like if I can build around him, we can win games and, and uh, maybe, you know, maybe a playoff team. Yeah. And um, in terms of this year's uh, quarterback class, Shane, what do you, how do you view it? It kind of seems reasonably consensus, but do you have a, do you have a kind of general view on the, on the, on this class and who do you think is going to be the first off? I, Look, I, I think this quarterback class has a lot of upside. Like, there's a lot of good talent here, but any player that you watch, if you watch a couple games, there, there's a lot of downside with all of them. You know, if you told me any player in this this quarterback class was a bust, I would I would not 
disagree. Like it could happen to all of these guys. Um, I think that Kenny Pickett for Pittsburgh is going to be the first off the board. He's my QB four. I I just, the one year of production, the jump always scares me when you have a player fifth year senior that took such a big jump, didn't play well in, in bad conditions. I think he needs the right situation really good on the move throwing the ball i think someone will take liberties malik willis who's my qb2 as the second guy just for that athletic upside that he brings with the big arm send him a year you know a team like pittsburgh or a team that's you know like atlanta or uh the colts right that signed a quarterback he can bring malik willis in and, and kind of develop him my top quarterback's matt corral from mississippi who kind of got overlooked wasn't the senior bowl had the ankle injury in the bowl game but really quick release still a good athlete um, and he can get the ball down the field. I think people are overlooking him a bit. I think he's still going to be a, a late first round pick. I actually think we might not see a quarterback go in the top 15 of this draft. I, I just don't know if any of these guys are worth that pick. And if a team like Carolina wants one, they're probably going to move, move down. I think if they're ultimately going to take someone. Yeah. I watched Corral's game against Liberty and I watched the one against Auburn. Um, and that sort of Lane Kiffin system, it's kind of hard to get a true read, I think, on him. And that's why I think teams will probably interest them in some sense, because it's all, you know, quick slants, you know, it's all very on rhythm, out timing, um, always somebody wide open, pretty much, just with the kind of levels and sort of crashing zones and things that they do. But um, yeah, I, I thought Corral was interesting. I think he's one of those guys that might have to sit for a year. Would you think that would be the, the ideal for him to sort of, uh, you know, transition over a, a, a almost like a redshirt year for him? I, I- I don't, I don't see a quarterback in this class that shouldn't have a pressure you know, like, yeah. like tipping them <laughs> yeah. off. But no, I agree with you. I think I think the, the system is so RPO heavy, even in the NFL, they're not quite there yet. So you kind of kind of have to I hope he goes to a spot where they'll tailor the offense to his strengths and allow him to kind of play within some of that run pass option stuff. Because like you said, in the Wayne Kiffin offense, it worked really well. He got a good command of it. But yeah, sit, sit, sit him a year. Sit Malik Willis a year. You know, sit Desmond Ritter mm. from Cincinnati a year. And I think then you can really blossom. But, you know, if you take a guy too high, you know how that goes, then you're kind of stuck and you're forced to get him in there at some point. Yeah. And um, what would you say is the the sort of positions of strength this year in terms of depth? I've seen sort of a lot about edge rusher and I've studied a few myself. I'm still kind of re- reasonably early stages of trying to piece the board together. But um, what would you say is the kind of the, the, the strength spots that, you know, that are good, they've got depth, you know, right into the multiple rounds? I think edge rusher definitely is up there. Um, probably my top 20 edge rushers, I think, have legit chance to become or develop into starters in the NFL. That's definitely a lot more than it usually is. Usually it's about half of that, in my opinion. So I think even on early day three, you're going to find some edge rushers who were very productive and be the top end athletes or high end athletes that um, have a lot of potential or a little bit of both. So I, I think you can find an edge rusher day two, round four and make that happen. Um, I, I also think receiver is a spot where there's a lot of depth. You know, people don't like it because it's not Jamar Chase. There's not this elite player. But, I mean, I, I looked down the list. I think, like, round two, round three is going to be littered with good, productive receivers, um, whatever you want. You want a contested, big contested catcher, we got it. You want an outside speed receiver, we have that. You know, everything's there. You want a guy to play special teams and can get down the field. So I think receiver's a spot where – I think we could see, you know, upwards of 12, 13 receivers go in the first two rounds. I think that's, that's possible. 
Um, so I think that's a, a spot that's really deep. And then uh, corner is another one where there's a lot of really good athletes and kind of my 15, 25 range uh, that have a lot of potential and upside teams like to, to do. And then you have a couple players in there who are kind of zone corners, not very fast, but really good instincts. Um, so once again, this class is so deep that I think almost any position you can find a player that's tailored to fit your team. And that's what a lot of these NFL teams are going to do. Yeah, so I mean, as it, as it pertains to the Texans, I was going through the, your latest mock. Um, so we'll run through them if you if you like, and we'll we'll see the the picks. So at number three, you had Aquanu going, <clears throat> and uh, what do you think of uh, Icky? As he's as, as he's um, seems to have guarded that nickname. Uh, yeah, I mean, he he kind of came a little bit out of nowhere. Not that he wasn't on my board, but I had him as a guard coming into the year. I didn't think he had the athleticism to be a tackle. And this this season, just really took off with his footwork, with that high end athletic ability. I watched Week One of NC State and said, you know, this guy is really really good, just mauling people and getting out there. Um, I think what you, what you can get with him is you have a player that can play right tackle immediately and step in, give you a good you know, pass protection ability, um, but also is going to create some space in the run game. And, and I think he's one of those players that we always say, it, it seems like a cliche thing, but he, he would be an elite guard. Like you put him inside. I mean, he could pull. There's so much you could do with him. So I think you like worst case scenario, if, if that doesn't work out, I think you have a player who's going to be an elite guard. I think it's a safe pick to me. And I think the Texans might you know, swing for that double rather than that home run. I think one uh, is going to start for a long time. Yeah, I, I keep sort of kind of coming back to the notion that yeah, he, like you said exactly that, Shane. He might be a safe pick because you know we've for this year, you know, most most likely we've got um, Titus Howard at right at right tackle. We you know we messed around last year and, and disrupted his development, and obviously Tunsil will be back just because we've restructured his contracts. He's untradeable um, at that at that dead cap hit, but. Yeah, I think you know. Could you see a, a certainly a, a scenario where you add to those two guys, and if if a corner can kick in at right or left guard, then you know certainly that would be a question. Now, from the couple of games I watched, and I'm just going off memory here, Shay. So correct me if I'm wrong, but they pre- they played pretty much a zone running scheme, and I think Pep Hamilton's kind of desire certainly is to is to run sort of a more kind of gap orientated principles do you do you see the transition with that quite similar because I've, I've had this debate with a lot of people with Tyler Linderbaum as well just saying I don't think he's applicable to the Texans because it's a zone-based scheme in Iowa and to take somebody that high that's not of that those principles um I think Aquan is perhaps an athlete that can play both but how, how do you sort of view that when you're looking at fit for teams yeah, I'm with you with Linderbaum. I I don't think he'd be a fit in in the power gap. I do think one who can play that really well. I actually think he might be better in a gap scheme to me because he kind of has he, he you can tell that when he engages in the run game, he wants to kind of get that pop. He wants to you know be the aggressor. And the the scheme at NC State didn't ask him to do that. There are even plays where I I don't think he was kind of playing within the scheme. Like if he knew what his guy what guy was coming at him. He would just try to take that guy down, which you're not supposed to do in the, in the zone scheme per se, right? You're supposed to create that as a kind of zone and sit back and and uh, just keep them, you know, keep them in that zone. So uh, I actually think it would be a, a much better fit maybe than it appears, even if it's not something that he's super used to there at NC State this year. Yeah, no, definitely. I think uh, he, he seems like a, a kind of all checks, all the boxes kind of 
prospect. So hopefully, you know, we'll, you know, I think a pick like that, as you said, a safe pick that we can start building cornerstones on this roster. Because I, I noticed, you know, Trayvon Walker's gone high, and you had him previously just to touch upon him. Shane, do you, do you th- could you see him as a potential fit? I know it's really hard to judge these Georgia guys in, in terms of defence, heavy rotation, so many good players right across all the front seven. Um, did you did you find it a tough evaluation? And um, and what do you sort of think of Trayvon? Because there's certainly been a, a lot of linkage there and it seems to have kind of continued to swirl. Yeah, I, I think Trayvon Walker, if he's sitting there at three, I think they take him. Um, I think he probably is, you know, two, uh, two on their board wouldn't surprise me. It, it is a tough evaluation. It was like Clemson a couple of years ago when you have all these front seven guys that all can play. It's like, well, who's, who's doing the work, you know, who's actually making this happen. I think the thing with Trayvon Walker is not only do we know that he, you know, has, can get to the passer, like he has pressures, he has the stats, uh, it came through this year, but he's played best in the biggest games. I mean, he was the best defender on that team in the national championship a lot of times on an island by himself doing what he had to do to me that, that, you know, that screams against Alabama. Okay. This is the guy that can play. So I think it maybe is a little more risky, you know, it just depends how you want to play it. Like, I think it's, there's a little more risk there, but he has size to fit multiple schemes and the way that he, that explosive first step as well as how he uses his hands. He's really good at getting his hands kind of underneath the pads, the offensive lineman stacking, shedding, getting in the backfield. Uh, so he's a lot of different ways to kind of make that happen, even against the run. Um, I, I think that's what makes him really intriguing and why there's going to be NFL teams that probably have him as the top player in this class. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. And I've seen the recent days as linked to another Georgia teammate, Devonta Wyatt. But at 13, Shane, you had um, the the defensive tackle Jordan Davis from also from that formidable front seven. What's your sort of kind of summation of him as a prospect? Because it's certainly quite high to take a defensive tackle. It, it is. And, and you know, the Texans are a tough team to mock for because they could take anybody. <laughs> like it can almost take anybody and, <laughs> yeah. you know, it'd be good. And <laughs> so, so, yeah, so, you know, I was looking at the roster and, and felt like, okay, you know, this Jordan Davis his combine at 6'6", 341 pounds, if you take that size and position into account, it was the second best combine ever for a prospect, only to Calvin Johnson. So, like, he, here's here's a guy that's huge, is a really good athlete, and that was the question coming in. Like, is he a good athlete? They, they really played him on first and second down mostly, like you said, because they have a first-round pick, probably top-10 pick to fill in for him on third down next year. He'll be a top-10 pick next year in um in Jalen Carter so you know for Jordan Davis it was I think you know he can do it you even see on some of those first down passes play action stuff I mean he has that get up to to be a nose tackle that can play three downs that can kick out the five tech that can do a lot of different things I I I just think he reminds me of Lodi Nada of the Ravens a couple years ago years back now who um you know you know he could two gap but he also could move that center out of his way. I, I just think it would create a, a, front, a front seven and really revitalize that Texans defense. I think Davis would be an intriguing prospect. Yes, I had a concern with them just when I watched them against Alabama, I watched both games, and just the way they set the protections against them at the front, they were quite happy to leave the guard of the center one-on-one with them a lot of the time. And obviously it's pick your poison against that front seven. But I just thought, you know, you, know, you talked about that earlier with... Um, with Walker, it seemed like they were kind of 
okay to to, to just to, to leave him one on one. And I suppose some of the knock is he's just he's not quite there in terms of pass rush to take that high. What do you sort of think about that? Yeah, I think that's the question. I think it's why he's not a top ten pick. I think it's why you start looking ten to fifteen because there are games where the pass rush isn't there. I mean, there are, and and so, sometimes I question the scheme at Georgia with him is, you know, did they kind of ask him to maybe sit back a little more and just play the two gap and stop that run in the middle, uh, even on passing downs? Like, you know, he just didn't seem to have, um, he just didn't seem to have kind of the get off when they asked him to. Then you go back to, um, you know, a couple of the games where he had a sack and you can see them letting him pin his ears back and teams kind of move from that single to double. Um, so it, it, I don't know. I think teams are going to talk to that Georgia coaching staff, see how they utilized him, see what, you know, was there an issue here? Was there not? What was the reasoning? I think it's going to be an important part in his draft stock. I mean, you told me he went at eight or you told me he went at 31. I, I wouldn't overly surprise me. And that's what makes him tough to place. Yeah. And going into the second round, um, Brees Hall uh, coming out of Iowa, who is pretty much consensus the number one running back on most on, for most evaluations. What do you make of him? Because I've certainly when I watched him, it looks very easy, <laughs> and he glides across the turf. You know, and it, there there isn't many running backs who it almost looks like they're not. Uh, and, it, and I was thinking about Adrian Foster, it never looked like he was running all that quickly. But he seemed, to, but he seemed to, you know, beat people to the end zone and what have you. So it kind of reminded me a little bit of him, not as much a bow-legged runner, but like uh, Foster was. But yeah, I really enjoyed watching uh, Brees Hall. I think you know he's got potential at the next level. I, I just think he can do everything that you want. I know some people are like, ah, why are you taking a running back that early? But I mean, the cupboard's bare, and like you said, at five eleven, two seventeen. I did not think he was like a four four flat player. I thought oh, he'll run the four fives. But like you said, he's faster than it appears when you watch him because of the size, because of how he moves, really good at using his lower body and then moving his upper body, kind of juke guys out. It's tough to really get a sense of where he's going to go. You really get a clean tackle on him, uh, can catch the ball, can block. So I, I think once we saw the high-end athleticism numbers, it's, uh, I said, here's a productive running back who is a, a superior athlete and can do everything. You know, I think it makes him really intriguing. I think you worry about, you know, is he really a home run threat? Is he really a player that's going to be able to, you know, take it 50 yards to the house? Uh, I don't know if that's the case. Um, and sometimes the agility in short space isn't ideal. So that's why I think he can fall to the second round. But it wouldn't surprise me if he goes late first, too. I, I think he is a three down rock solid running back. Yeah, we desperately need an injection of youth at that position because it's been a long time since we've, <laughs> since we've invested in that position. Um, obviously, the Don Don Foreman kind of one well, never kind of quite worked out. Uh, made a bit of a comeback last year for for Tennessee, but <clears throat> no, I think that would be welcomed. Now, the this next one um, at the top of the third at sixty eight. This is an interesting one when I saw this and. I, I was glad you actually had that there because it's been something I've been looking at quite a lot recently. And when you watch that Oklahoma defense again, you know, a lot of talent on there, a lot of guys coming out this year. So, but Nick Benito, I take it you see him as an off the ball linebacker rather than a on a, a on a four man front. Yeah, I, I think he would be an off ball linebacker that you could just utilize in so many different ways. I think 
he's one of those linebackers who could suffer from what is he exactly like, where do we want to use him? And that's why I like that, you know, what the, I think the Texans are going to use on defense with some multiple fronts because you can have him stand up and rush the passer. I think he's a guy that could drop back into coverage and be okay. Um, But, you know, I have him as an edge player because he can really, kick off, stand up, put the hand down. Oklahoma used them in a lot of different ways. They actually moved him around the formation a lot to get good matchups with the offensive line, which you don't see that often. Um, so I, I was really intrigued by that. And I think he is underrated in terms of what he can bring to the table as a pass rusher and getting to the quarterback. Like so many different moves that he has in his repertoire. Um, you know, not the biggest guy uh, but you know he he's he's athletic and he can get to that edge and sneak around pretty quickly i just think he's a really really intriguing player who could even go a little higher than that i think if a team feels like he's a good fit yeah because i think there's definitely an argument to be made he's probably one of the top you know few athletes in the draft potentially because i think the the explosion you know the burst that he goes by people in the rush but then also just the the range and athleticism i think for benito is is you know, I think different teams and different systems could use it multiple ways, but um, I've not seen enough of him dropping in pass coverage, so that's that's something I need to go and have a look at. But um, do you think do you think it's all there to be a sort of kind of either a Sam or a Will? Yeah, I, I, I do think it's there. I would kind of prefer him as a Will personally. That's where I would place him. But uh, you know, I've yep. I've said that about plenty of guys <laughs> that that end up on the other side, and you know, it depends on that scheme, but. Uh, yeah, I, I just I think there are there's a skill set there to develop that Oklahoma, like I said, used him usually rushing the pass in a lot of different ways. Um, it, I think he has the athletic ability and size to to be a good pass coverage linebacker. But if you put him at the will, then I think you can find ways to exploit the offense and really get to the quarterback. I, I'm I hope he goes to a good situation that uses him correctly. Yeah. And uh the the pick they got back from Bradley Roby from New Orleans at 80. Um, just making his way down uh, the the highway from Waco, Jalen Petrie from Baylor. What do you what do you make of him? I've th- I've seen him kind of you know people talking about you know sort of you know early day day two, um, and then I've seen a, a varied a variance of of opinions on him. But what what's what do you like about Petrie? I he he's just brutal, man. I mean, he is such a like good safety in terms of running down in the box, running downhill, hitting guys. And he still hits them. You know, sometimes you have some of these safeties, you're like, ah, they hit really hard, but they like put their head down. I mean, he, you know, he tackles with fundamentals, but makes, but still can punish you with what he does. And I think that's kind of rare. Um, It's why he could go early day two, but I do think a safety class has a lot of good players at the top. And um, ultimately, you know, when you get a guy that has four, four speed and is a good run, defender there's just so much you can do with him he can play uh in a two deep zone i think he's good at that and i think he can now you kind of scoot him down and help with the run game i think he's a versatile safety that could you know help the texans replace some of what they've lost uh lost this offseason at that position yeah no absolutely i think it's um yeah it's certainly you, you want to i think you there's part of this as well particularly on the defensive side of the ball which i think it's easier to do early is create an identity and create you know, some some attitude on defense, I think, because that's the way to kind of sort of solidify a, a unit rather than, you know, what we've seen in the last couple of years. But another guy here, which I've seen, again, a bit of a variance of opinions of, I know, at the Combine, certainly the NFL Network, you know, Daniel Jeremiah was a huge fan of him in the workout. Um, Troy Anderson, what's, what do you, you make of him, another linebacker? And and Caser- I'm sure Caserio would, would thank you for that because he, he does have an affinity for signing multiple linebackers. 
I look, you, you got to figure that out. I think Anderson's um, really a steal at that point. I feel like he's going to go higher. He's, he has such an intriguing story, played quarterback for Montana state, played fullback, played running back, kind of has a lot of experience in a lot of different positions because he is a a really, really good athlete, Um, but, but also strong fundamentally. You can see how he reads an offense. Uh, A lot of times he, it seems to know what the offense is going to do from everything I've heard, you know, very big into film study, loves having the, uh, being the leader, calling the plays, calling the adjustments. You know, he would be that guy that you can plug in on defense. And, you know, I think could play in terms of a middle linebacker. I think he'd be a really good Sam uh, ultimately on the strong side that you could utilize. So just a really versatile athletic player, um, you know, who, who who knows what he's doing. I think that's, like you said, a way to build a defense and have an identity. Lady Trey Anderson would really help with that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think in um, cornerbacks, a position we really need to address, you know, in a in a in a big way. Um, often pro ready. Sometimes there's an argument the prospects out of Bama come out, you know, almost too refined, and it's kind of they've they've found a ceiling already. But you've a guy who I wasn't actually familiar with uh, is Josh Joby, cornerback, uh, Bama. What do you what do you make of him? So he's a player two years ago, uh, was getting some first round publicity, like some of these Alabama players do when you have some. You're against the second or third receiver and can do good things. I thought this year he took a step backwards, and that's why I have him falling a little further uh, where some might have him in day two. I think this was a tough year for him. Um, he's kind of, you know, not a big press uh, corner, but he has good athleticism. I like the way he turns and runs, very fluid hips, kind of can swing. Um, did well really manning up this year, uh, but, you know, he struggled when he was facing kind of bigger receivers. That's kind of a problem. Can you coach him up to be able to handle that uh, or play him in more of a zone scheme? I think it'd be better. So I think it's kind of a, a little developmental pick for a player who, like you said, from Alabama, usually tailor made ready to go. Um, but I think, I think, I think uh, Josh Joby's a player who might, might need a little bit of time just to kind of get his feet wet and uh, learn the game a little bit more. Yeah, just as we're talking here, Shane, I don't know if you've seen this flash up, but we've had a pre-draft trade come through on the wire here. Um, so it says the Eagles, are interesting just to see what you make, or perhaps give you Howie Roseman's view on this draft class. It said they've, they've, dra- they've traded the 16th, the 19th, and the 194th to the Saints for the 18th, 101, 237, a 23-first, and a 24-second pushing picks further into the year, having less first-round picks this year. What do you make of that? It seems like kind of a, a rather interesting show. I'm not sure who, who's particularly uh, winning here. It just feels like Philly are, are pushing their projections into future years. Yeah, well, I think when you have three first-round picks like the Eagles do, you know, spending that capital – and honestly – mocking for them it's like i don't know if they have three like big needs in that first round and so Mm. i think this kind of says that hey let's kind of keep one of those picks essentially with 18 you still have another one and then you get a first next year which is going to probably be a little stronger class at the top um and i think you could look at the saints and say you know they're not in great shape right now to be a high-end team so I think if it's Philly, you're kind of hedging your bets instead of having three picks in one year. Let's have, you know, two picks this year, two picks next year and get that 23 first that, hey, you know, could be a top 15 pick and ultimately really work out for them. So um, you'll still pick in a 15, 18 Saints at 16 and 19 now uh, going to be really mm. interesting. 
Yeah, no, keeps changing. That will be another fresh mock out for you. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be <laughs> after we're done here. I'm gonna get, get editing and and uh, make some That's quick it. changes there. <laughs> right, so I'll run you. I'll run you through some quick fire names if you want to hit me back. Your view of them. Obviously, can't have a draft pod without talking about my favorite prospect in this draft, and that is the unicorn himself and Kyle Hamilton. Um, I just as soon as I watched them at the bye week, Shane, I just I've I've not been able to look anywhere else um, I think that's the first time I've ever kind of uh, had had sort of high views on a prospect uh, what do you what do you make of Hamilton and, and his uh, is he is he truly unique is he Sean Taylor 2.0 or, or have you got those I that that was my comp as a prospect Tim I think he's similar to Sean Taylor as a prospect uh, where you know Hamilton maybe didn't didn't work out quite as well as expected Notre Dame kind of a slower track for pro days I think we saw on film like he's big and he can move really well for his size um you can play him in so many different positions but I I, I think with that requisite size if you let him freelance if you have a defense that allows him to do what he what his instincts say he's going to be phenomenal you know he's going to be able to play that run uh really well you know like Troy Palomalu let him come up to the line of scrimmage let him run backwards you know, let him take take coverage and play the middle of the field. There's a lot that Kyle Hamilton could do. Yeah, he, he's definitely, for me, uh, I think a top three player in this class. And I think he could fall a little bit, you know, safety, not a premium position. Teams could be worried a little bit about exactly, you know, if he fits their scheme and system. I think, I think teams that are a little more hesitant on what they do might not take him. And I think it could end up being a steal. I think he's going to be a heck of a player. Yeah, I mean, ideally you get an edge rusher or an alignment and he's there at 13, but it kind of feels like he might not fall that far. Another guy who, who I've kind of, who in in this mock draft that I ran through with uh, 32 other people, it was George Karlaftis was sitting there at 13. And I kind of have a little bit of worry, actually, that 13 might be kind of almost not a dead spot unless somebody takes one of the quarterbacks above and you might not necessarily get those top, you know, six or seven, you know, roughly speaking, kind of, upper tier guys and then you've kind of got you know a sort of smaller second tier and then a, you know a lengthy maybe 40 player plus kind of tertiary tier but um what do you think about that 13 spot and, and would curl off this be a fit uh, yeah i think that 13 spot is tough when you get to the middle of of that draft things get a little more difficult where i think teams will start kind of drafting guys that we may not view as well you know great players or uh maybe could, could have went late first early second i think Karloftis fits in there um he, i think he's going to be one of those wild cards on draft night of where he goes i think there's some teams that are going to really really like him consistent production from day one but he is a player with how purdue used him a lot of times in the wide nine a lot of times standing up and rushing um i think i think he'll be kind of more favored for some of those three four defenses that give that kind of front than teams with just a pure, you know, four, three. Uh, and I think that could be part of the issue and could cause him to fall. I probably had him falling in this mock. I had him falling down um, pretty far to 29. It feels a little late, um, but I think, I, you know, I wonder because I feel like after him that there's a tear drop off of those edge rushers, especially with, with David Jabba's injury. So I do wonder if maybe it pushes him up. If you're at 13, you're Houston. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe we gotta we gotta take the hit and and do it. So we'll see. Yeah, and 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 uh, this scenario, I I had the Texas trading back in the first round at 31st overall with Cincy um, to take Nicobe Dean. I know he's undersized, um, 
So there's a potentially falls. I would highly doubt he's there at, th- at 31. But what do you think of Nicobe Dean again <laughs> running through all the Georgia prospects tonight? Uh, there are definitely games where Nicobe Dean is, is the big impact player on that defense. Um, and he's another guy that, though undersized, you know, I think he is definitely athletic enough to play that middle linebacker role, be able to make a lot of tackles, but also is really good in coverage against tight ends. I mean, there's some red zone plays that he made that are just eye popping, you know, running with guys that should be faster than him that are bigger than him. And he's getting physical with them. Um, that That's the kind of linebacker I like. So he's another whose value, I think, is a wide range. There are going to be teams say we, we don't want a linebacker that small. Right. It's the Tyler Linderbaum thing like that doesn't fit our scheme. Not going to he's not off our board. I think there are teams probably like the Texans that feel like, hey, we could take this guy. He's really athletic. He, you know, shows up on film. Um, there's definitely a fear when you have a the best defensive line in football in front of you, what that does for a linebacker and how easy it makes your job. But um, I think you run through the interview process. You make sure that he, you know, he was he was the one that was doing a lot of the calling and the plays that seemed like, I think he's going to be a good player. Yeah, no, definitely. And in terms of this draft, Shane, who are your guys? I know you, last year we were listening back, you know, you said you, you've always got a few. Um, who's Who are your kind of guys that, you know, you might be higher on or just or just guys that you've, you were sold on pretty quickly watching the tape? Um, I mean, one of the big ones who's start, starting to gain a lot of buzz is Christian Watson, the receiver from North Dakota State, who is my yeah. number six in this class. I wrote an article in early January where I thought his career trajectory would be similar to Cooper Cup, uh, would come in, have a good first year, and really explode in a couple of years as an older um, FCS prospect. I mean, 6'4", 208, 4'3", speed. It, it shows up on film. You can use them in so many different ways. People are scared of the production. I think he's going to be a stud. He's, like I said, my number six receiver and I would take him in the first round pretty easily so I'm a really big fan of him um he's someone uh edge rusher a player that I like talent wise is Sam Williams from Mississippi uh really productive in the SEC was leading the SEC in sacks for a while some off-field concerns that might push him down but I think he could end up being a steal talent wise at that spot can be kind of a a stand-up linebacker in a 3-4 I think you put his hand down um he kind of did both a little bit Mississippi so uh, I really like him. He's definitely someone that I'm higher on. I'd be willing to take second, third round if, if everything checks out um, off the field for sure. And then uh, I'll give you one more. A corner is Martin Emerson from Mississippi. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, if you're running a zone scheme, I, I think Martin Emerson, man, he could be phenomenal. Like ball hawk, uh, really good instincts. Uh, there, there are times, games where they weren't thrown at him. And he was covering the best receiver on the field and some – you know, some of these SEC schools. Uh, I, I just think he is underrated, but has like size, speed, combo, and some really good awareness and, you know, ball skills. Uh, I want to see where he goes for sure. Yeah. No, I, yeah, it's a f- funny you said that. I actually just watched a couple of ga- games of, of Mississippi um, last couple of weeks. Um, I wanted to see what Charles Cross, first of all, just to kind of, you know, does it, does it check out? And yeah, he's one of these guys. It's so smooth, he kind of does. But yeah, Emerson definitely was one of the names that, and I also see them go by MGM or some sort of kind of two letter first name. So, um, be one of those boards that one of those guys that uh, throws off your uh, your board when you're you're when you're trying to <laughs> you're trying to check them against others because you can't find the name. Um, happens every year with the different spells etc. But, um, 
in terms of uh, sort of any can any sort of kind of shocks or anything you think are going to surprise people, you know, I know you kind of get sort of general group thinking. People seem to have a consensus, mostly through the national media, in terms of what's going to happen on draft night. Is there any kind of shocks you could see, or any kind of theories you've got? What might how it might pan out in day one and two? Um. Look, like I said before, I think I think the quarterbacks are going to fall. I don't think any of them are going to go on the top 15. I think that'll surprise some people. We're going to get some buzz. Oh, someone's going at two. Someone's going at six. I don't think it happens. I think that will be pretty surprising, um, ultimately. Um, I, you know, I, I think we could see a lot of uh, safeties maybe go off the board late. Like, obviously, Kyle Hamilton's going to go high, but I think Lewis Seen from Georgia could be a first-round pick. Daxton Hill from Michigan, I think, sneaks his way in there. So when you get that late first range, sometimes teams are, like, just taking round two guys that they want that fifth-year option on, and safety's off in a position where they want to, to kind of breed that. So I think that's interesting. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think that's – I think that's probably the big stuff. Um, I think in terms of guys that fall – you know, I think we'll probably – I do think the linebackers might fall a little bit. That's why I've had N'Kobe Dean in the second round. I just think teams are going to look at other positions and other needs and have that. Like, yep. one of the problems with this draft is there's too many players for spots. Like, we're going to sit there in round three and round four and say, man, how's that guy still on the board? But no one was taken. Maybe one only one or two guys were taken. And you're like, wow, why did they go there? I think that's going to be surprising if you haven't really looked at this draft. Yeah, no, definitely. And you, can you see the the undrafted uh, class given a fair bit of making a, a fair number of rosters then just with the sheer depth, just because, you know, teams are be stocking up on picks, but then teams also don't want to have too many picks as well. And I know Casario's kind of said, you know, he thinks he'll take between eight and 10 players, even though we've got more picks than that right now. But you think the undrafted class could, could turn up a few I, I think it's going to be great. Uh, I've said it before. I think they're going to be undrafted players that are better than fourth round picks from last year. I think we're going to see a lot of players from last year cut for undrafted seventh rounders. Um, it's just, it's, it's the nature of the depth, like you said, of this class. So we already started seeing a little bit last year. I, I just think um, this is a good draft to have a lot of picks or you know, be able to give those free agent contracts and give some big money. I think this is the year to do it. Yeah. No, definitely. Um, and in terms of the sort of kind of Texans needs on the offensive side of the ball, um, interior line, I think, um, is certainly one of them. If it's not um, icky at the top of the draft, who are some kind of names that people should be looking for that can, you know, hopefully step in and their role at guard or centre and play and play in that sort of kind of power gap scheme? Yeah, you know, I, I think there's a couple I really like day two, even late day two for players that can play there. One one guy I really like is Dylan Parham from Memphis, um, yeah. who went to the senior bowl, played a little bit of center, uh, but can, you know, obviously played most of his time at guard. He's just a really nasty player. I like him in the, in the power gap, even though maybe you'd want five more pounds or so on him. But, um, you know, he holds his upper body weight. He's really strong upper body, uh, can move things around. So I think he's a guy to look for in terms of that. Um, I, I also like uh, a, a kind of a versatile piece that could be good late in the draft um, at center is Luke Fortner from Kentucky. He's uh, he, yeah, like I, a, I, yeah, I, yeah, I think yeah, if you're looking for a pure yeah. center, you're sitting there round four, round five. I think he's a player you could take maybe sit year one, let him develop. I think he could develop into someone who ultimately can be a, a starting center in the NFL, really good lower body push. 
Um, you can really see him use his legs to his advantage. So um, I like him too. And then I'll, I'll mention one more kind of late round guy that uh, I'm high on is William Dunkel or Bill Dunkel out of San Diego State. Uh, just, you know, highest rated PFF blocker, the run blocker this year. And I mean, he's, he's not fast. He's not athletic, but he will knock you down and he will keep pushing you down. Like this dude is just nasty. He's so good at getting his hands inside and just moving guys. Uh, so if you can find a way to kind of fine tune his pass blocking enough, I mean, I think he could end up being a third day steal. Yeah, no, I, I like Fortner. I was watching, well, originally I was studying Josh Pascal. Um, and then I just watched, tried to watch a bit of it just to get a feel for Wondell Robinson, just to kind of see uh, where he was kind of sitting. And then, yeah, Fortner just stood out. And I almost thought there were some games where he was better than Darian Kennard. I know they've kind of projected him to be a, a guard, potentially, um, at the next level. And he was kind of early early, early mock drafts. You know, Kennard was in there, and then you've kind of seen his name be overtaken by the, you know, the Philelis and the Rhymans and, and all this kind of stuff. But, um, but certainly... Uh, but certainly, um, yeah, Fortner, I thought, you know, is just the, exactly what you said, Shane, the, the, just the anchor and the base um, at the point of attack was just something that stood out on tape and just just solid, you know, and I think that's that's there's a lot to be said for offensive linemen mean, you don't notice because they just do, do their job so well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, sometimes that is worth a lot more. Sometimes you'll see some of these big school offensive linemen and I'm like, man, they never really impressed me, but I, I never wrote their name down as being awful and they get drafted third round. Uh, it happens so often they turn into yep. good players. So I think it's worth keeping an eye out for. Yeah, definitely. And in terms of the, I know we kind of touched on some, but the wide receiver, I think, you know, the takes could go a number of ways. I suppose it's pick your flavor, but if you were to kind of uh, say, say, you know, usually you've got the the get up and go guys at the point of attack and you, you've got the, you got the speed demons, but any kind of uh, wide receivers you think would be a, a good, a good fit or maybe some guys that you've kind of watched a bit more of than you've seen in the consensus. Um, I actually like a really good fit for Houston would be Jalen Tolbert from South Alabama. Uh, really, really okay, productive yeah, yeah, guy. Yeah. I think he can profile more as a, a, you know, a starting receiver makes a lot of good contested catches. He's not super fast, but they run him on a lot of nine routes and he gets separation at the line. So I think he's really intriguing who may fall, you know, late round two into round three and, but be a player who ends up out producing that. So I think if you want more of that contested catcher, he's, he's a good player. Um, I also like round three, round four, uh, Velas Jones Jr. from Tennessee, who ha had a great combine. He seems like a speed guy, but uh, when you watch him play, I mean, he has those long, strides kind of chase claypool like where these tennessee receivers they're never used right but like you see it on film that he has this skill set um and sometimes i think those are the players to go attack six foot 204 who um just wasn't used correctly so he's going to fall a little further than he should if he would have been on a different team uh, i like that and then maybe, maybe a later round pick that i like a lot is eric Ezekama from texas tech uh, yeah, yeah, he, you know, very, he was productive early in the season, kind of fell off a little bit, had a couple injuries, but, um, man, I mean, he's, he's someone that's super quick and another guy that just gets separation, but has the body to kind of box you out in the red zone. Uh, I, th I think he's someone that could outproduce his draft stock, you know, day three, he'll probably go and could be a good player. Yeah, no, definitely. And as we touched on earlier, in terms of the desperate need for investment, you know, despite picking up Marlon Mack last week, is is an investment at the tailback spot. And what do you think of the running back class as a, as a whole? 
Um, and is there any kind of names, you know, beyond the beyond the you know the sort of Walkers, Brees Hall, and Spiller, the kind of consensus, kind of top three? Is there any kind of guys you like in that sort of next tier? If you like, I, I think it's a deep group. Um, maybe we don't have that high high end running back, but I think Brees Hall's pretty darn good. Um, I really like Pierre Strong Jr. running back out of South Dakota State. If you've watched him, he, he's 5'11", 207, um, good pass catchers, you know, solid blocker. They didn't ask him to do either very much, but, I mean, there's some plays where he just explodes off the snap, one cut, go, and, man, makes, you know, big plays, big yardage, makes guys miss in space. Uh, I think he, I recently moved him up to my number five running back in this class. I think round three, round four, he could go and be pretty productive. Um, but I think there are some, you know, bigger backs that are going to go early uh, from the SEC. Zamir White from Georgia, Brian Robinson from Alabama, probably as day two players that you could bring in. Robinson, more of the plotting, bigger running back um, who showcased some explosion. I think he's going to go day two. And then Samir White was a high-end recruit, really athletic, uh, tore both of his ACLs in two consecutive years. And, I mean, it's come back, been productive for Georgia. They always use those platoon running backs. So you never get a great sense of workhorse load, but I think he has that ability. And then um, one late-round guy that I like is um, Jay Sean Corbin from Florida State. Might get drafted, might not get drafted. I think if you want to add some depth, he could be a you know, seventh-round pick, probably be a free agent, uh, started at Texas A&M, got beat out by Isaiah Spiller, went to Florida State. Florida State's offensive line is woeful. Uh, but he was you know, making space, creating space by himself, catching the football a ton. I think he's uh, an underrated player in this class. Yeah, absolutely. And in terms of the tight end, I know obviously the tight end position has changed a lot, and most of them are just both, you know, uh, souped up wide receivers. But in terms of you know an actual blocking threat um, that can that can hold his own at the point of attack, who would you say is a kind of top few you know true uh, tight ends um, that can actually um, you know hold up at the line? Of I, I think there are a couple good two way guys. Um, Jelani Woods from Virginia is really in- intriguing. Because he's massive, 6'7", 259, um, when he was at Oklahoma State. I mean, they used him as just a blocking tight end. Was really excellent at that. And Virginia, they try to use that size to their advantage. He's still raw there. But, I mean, I think he can block and develop into something more. I really like Charlie Kohler from Iowa State, who was pretty highly touted coming in. Um, Used a lot more as a blocker as they had some offensive line problems this season. Showcased he could do it, but has some pretty good athleticism. Uh, And then uh, Daniel Bellinger from San Diego State um, barely ran routes, uh, but, like, Tested at the combine is one of the best athletes, a tight end, you know, so very firm blocker uses his feet really well, especially in pass protection. Um, And then I think you do have some pass catching upside. So I think all three of those guys blockers first, but there's some upside for all three of them to turn into something. more. Yeah. No, yeah, no, definitely. I think that's a, a real need for the, the Texans to try and uh, compliment Brevin Jordan and and uh, obviously I think there are a lot a lot of twelve personnel sets in the in the Pep Hamilton playbook, so we'll need to need to find some guys definitely. I think a blocker would be there. Um you, you mentioned Shane how you've kind of you watch a lot of these prospects right through from um from uh, high school into college and you know, you want to see that development curve over that sort of three to four year period. Um in terms of the Texans having picks for the next, you know, few uh, drafts and from Cleveland, where that'll be, we'll, we'll find out over time. But um, in terms of the talent pipeline and the outlook for the next two years, is that something that that as you stand today looks well timed in terms of the picks? And there was a lot of talk about uh, CJ Stroud and, and Bryce Young next year as being kind of legitimate day one kind of you know blue chip kind of 
to uh, quarterbacks and then the, the following year. Is that, is, is that something the Texas fans should feel positive about in terms of the, 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 the pipeline for the next I year? I think you should. I think you should feel good. I think next year, 2023 class is really good at the top. It certainly doesn't have the depth of 22, but I mean, there are legitimate, like you said, quarterbacks. I think uh, one of the best edge rushers I've seen, Will Anderson from Alabama, uh, it's going to be up there. We're going to have another Georgia D lineman, Jalen Carter. Um, and I think there's some really good corners as well. Uh, I think it is a nice, really nice group at the top. If, if, you know, one of those picks ends up pretty high, I think they'll be in good shape. And in 2024 is interesting. You know, we still a lot to kind of see there, but we have, you know, we have an elite receiver and Xavier Worthy from Texas. Uh, we have a you know, pretty, some really good offensive tackle, Joe Alt from uh, Notre Dame in there and starting to see some defensive line and pass rush talent kind of come through. So I think 2024 is going to, I think it's going to make itself well-known, but I think this was good timing by the Texans, especially for next year, have a little more draft capital to work with. Yeah, well, it's good news because we've got a, a bucket load of roster holes to fill, so we're going to have to to hit on these picks. I suppose I, I come back to the, the point, Shane. You know, is that enough? You know, those those three first rounds plus a couple of throw-ins enough to kind of flip this roster on its head? I think is you know, and you you do see that. You know, sometimes you need two to three draft classes back to back where a number of hits, and all of a sudden you're looking at you know a relatively healthy roster. Is it you know obviously the Legion of Boom Seahawks was one. Is there any kind of examples you can you know? go back to where it's, you know, you've seen these rosters come together over a couple of draft classes. Yeah. Look, I, I think it happens in the NFL when you start to take kind of that slow process and see it come to fruition. You know, we have, I think we have a kind of examples from both ends, right. Of, of you know, a team like the Rams where they're kind of throwing picks uh, and trying to figure that out and just like get veteran players or you have a team like the Bengals where I think that, you know, they had some premium picks. They built a lot through the draft and been able to utilize that. So I, I think in today's NFL, you can build your team either way. Obviously, you need the quarterback. You need some of those prime positions, uh, especially in terms of pass rush. But there's so many different ways to build a team. I mean, I, I think the Texans, if they can take this draft, hit 60% of these picks, um, I, then I think you're going to see in a year or two years – it really paid dividends and the Texans could be a playoff team, but ultimately it's, you know, is Davis Mills, the guy you're going to find a quarterback. And then can you build up, especially in the trenches enough to feel like whatever you put in place that you can win these games. So I, I think the Texans are in a good position. I think it's a smart way to build and kind of, you know, make, make this happen. We, you knew this was going to be more of a long-term look, especially when Deshaun Watson is going to be out of the picture. So th this is the correct approach in my opinion. And Bryce Young just ahead of CJ Stroud. Yeah, it's close. Uh, it's close. I I I have Young one you know one spot ahead of him, and uh, yeah, I feel like I'm like I'm gonna regret that by October. I feel like uh, Stroud's gonna be better, but 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 we'll see. So? We'll okay. see. I think both are excellent, excellent players, uh, big time prospects. So I'm really excited for both of them. Yeah, yeah. No, I think just slightly edges it from the, the games I've watched, but. Obviously, we'll find out, you know, where where their where their ceilings are kind of approaching next year, um, <clears throat> once we get through another year of college slate. But uh, on draft night or draft weekend, what's your what's your setup? You got any traditions? Where, where you position just in that seat right there? Or what, what do you? Yeah, I'll be here. Uh, we're we're gonna be live streaming all three days, every pick. So if you want, you know, live analysis, sometimes TV when you hit 
DJ three, they start getting away from talking about the players. And uh, so yeah. we'll be here ready to make sure we talk about every player as they're picked and what it does. So, you know, I, I definitely have a couple, couple traditions, get get a pizza, get it going, but I'm excited to bring back the live stream of draft countdown and, and, you know, talk to people and get comments and questions throughout. No, excellent, excellent. Well, yeah, it's good to be involved, I think, again, finally, at the top end. So uh, looking forward to it. Shane, thank you very much for your time, mate, again. Um, third year in a row, so much appreciated um, for your for your input and uh, always learn something. Yeah, no problem. Thanks. thanks for having me again. Yeah, no worries. Well, thanks, thanks to Shane for his time. Um, we'll be back again next week to keep talking some draft as we edge ever closer to, you know, being back at the top and relevant when it comes to draft time. So thanks again for listening and we'll catch you again next week.